a couple of housekeeping things, just real quick. Um, in the foyer are copies of our bylaws and our budget. Um, on November 14th, we have our Family Matters. We're a congregational church, and so we're coming together to, we got to vote on our 2022 budget. That's out there. There's two versions. You can go into the weeds, or you can just look at the 30,000-foot view. Uh, then every three years, as part of our process, we put together a team to overview, just kind of look over our bylaws. That team has worked and has has results. So you're welcome to look at that online, or if you want a paper copy, uh, it's back there. So I just want you to know that. November 14th, we have a cool Family Matters night. So I uh, just want you to be a part of that. That's going to be where we recognize some staff and kind of deal with those, those topics. So now Nehemiah 8. Okay, Nehemiah 8, if you have your Bibles. Now, over the last several months, we've been in Ezra and Nehemiah. These are really cool Old Testament books. And, and, you know, when you think about what's happening right after Nehemiah 8, it's fascinating. It's one of those moments that, that it, it almost seems unbelievable because God's people had just come together and in 52 days they had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Now, now that's crazy fast. That's like half a football season. They, they rebuilt the whole walls of Jerusalem. And, and it was a crazy time because there was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of difficulty. And, 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 and in spite of that, they, they finished that task. And in 52 days, they're standing on top of the walls they had rebuilt. Now, now it's easy for us to look at that and read that. And, and when you understand the context of that and just the magnitude of, of, of that moment, you realize that took the hand of God. Now, it's easy for us to go, man, that doesn't happen in my neighborhood, right, in my time. You know, we're just like normal people. Well, they were normal people walking with the Lord, and yet God was at work in their lives. You know, I think we need to really understand that God's at work in our lives. God's at work in our neighborhood, Let's resist that temptation to, to read a, uh, an unbelievable Bible story like this and go, well, God doesn't work in big ways among us because he is. He's at work right now. And in fact, John 5, 17, um, Jesus said to them, my father is at work to this very day and I too am working. And, and, and often God invites his people all through history. God invites his people to join him, to work with him. And, and, and when, and let's, let's resist that temptation today. And let's understand what, what God is doing in Nehemiah 8. And, and it's interesting, God's not just uh, using his people to, to rebuild bricks and mortar. Well, what he's doing, he's rebuilding his people. That's what he's doing. He's rebuilding his people. And, and, and when I think about what God's doing in us, it's very similar. God is at work in our church. God's at work in our lives. God's at work in our community. And, and God invites us to join him where he's at work. And I'll tell you, this is important because we live in a world desperate for hope, don't we? We're desperate for hope here. And, and we, we know as followers of Christ that, that real lasting hope is not in science, right? It's not in some sort of, of um, 
magic cure that's going to eradicate death. It's not. That's not where lasting hope is. It's not an education. I'm big on education. I went to school and stuff. But, but, it's, but our lasting hope is not in education. Our lasting hope is not in some governmental system or some cultural advancement. Let, let's recognize that lasting hope is in nothing that you and I can create. It's so important to understand. Now, last hope is only found in Christ. Hope in, in this world and hope in the next world. Hey, you know the Bible is crystal clear. There is a next world. Death is not the end. That, that's just the reality. God, the Bible's clear on this. And, and all through history, what do you see? You see God raising up a people to, to be ambassadors for him, to represent him. That's what God's doing with the reconstruction of Jerusalem in Nehemiah 8. And, and, and this is why we've got to learn how to put on biblical glasses and see the world through what the Bible reveals. I believe this with all my heart, that, and, and you, you, I pray you hear this, that a biblical vision for your life will in the end prove to be completely true. Regardless of the changes, regardless of the, of the struggles we face, it'll be completely true. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look through Nehemiah 8. And I want us to really hear from the Lord today what he has for us. Because um, now as we look at Nehemiah 8, I, 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 I want I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews 10, okay? Because I think Hebrews 10 is this incredible picture of what's going on in Nehemiah 8. So keep your finger in Nehemiah 8, turn to Hebrews 10, stand with me, and let's read God's Word together today. We're going to be in verse just two verses, 24 and 25, and if you're visiting today, that's one of our our habits, it's our practices that we stand in honor of God's word. And it's just a posture of respect of just saying, God, this is your word, not ours. So we're just going to stand to honor what you've said. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, look at this. Look at Hebrews 10 for a second. Notice that the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, there's a lot of speculation of who wrote it. But, um, but he says, let's consider how to stir one another up, how to provoke one another, how to push one another. It's interesting. It's a confrontational call that, that we're to push one another to, to what? To love and good deeds. You know, we have a tendency to not love and not act lovingly or act with good deeds. We, we tend to, that, that's a wrestling match for us sometimes. But, but he, then he says, um, hey, Stop, make sure you don't neglect meeting together. 
gathering together, as is the habit of some. Now, you know, this is um, all through history. You see God's, God's people habitually coming together. This is so very important. COVID, uh, in, in pastor world, we are, uh, there's a common conversation of what's your church like pre-COVID, post-COVID, right? And, and, and we see the, that, that the habits of many have shifted. You know, I'm so grateful we live in a world where we can be online today. And we have like several hundred people, 300 people, I think, that are watching us online. We're grateful for this moment. We're grateful for your, that you're joining us. But, but let's not miss what the Bible says, that, that we, we need one another. We need to come together as in the habit of some. Uh, and, and notice it says, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That day's capitalized, right? There, there's a theological term for that called eschatology, which basically means end times, that there's going to be an ending. There's going to be an end time. And, and uh, you know, I don't know when Jesus is going to return, but there's a day that he will. Now, I don't know if you or I will see the final end times or that we will face an end of our days. But the reality is the, the Bible says that we will all stand before God. And we're to gather together. We're to encourage one another all the more as we see that day approaching. Now, in Nehemiah 1 and 2, let's, let's think about this. Let's look through Nehemiah today. We saw that Nehemiah was this man of prayer and Bible study, and his prayer took, led him to action and respond. You see, in we saw in chapters 3 and 4 that, that, that Nehemiah said, we got to build the wall of Jerusalem. we got to rebuild the walls and, and, and fix this city because it was an important platform. It was an important uh, uh, ministry point from God's people all through history, an important moment of a place of proclamation that salvation had come to the world. And then you see in, in chapter 3 and 4, there were enemies that came. They fought against them. And, and we saw in chapter 5 that not only were there external enemies to Nehemiah that were fighting against the work of God, they, they in Nehemiah chapter 5, there were internal struggles. God's people struggled with each other. And this is part of family, right? I mean, I have a big brother, and in families, we fight sometimes. I mean, my big brother, uh, it was really me taking the fight more than bringing the fight, because he's nine years older than me, and he did that whole quit hitting yourself. Did anybody ever have a brother that did it? I hated that, man. I hated that. But um, now I'm bigger than him, and he won't wrestle me anymore. But, um, but, but you know, in family, we sometimes struggle with one another, right? We get to forgive one another and work things out. And you saw them do that in Nehemiah 5. And then in Nehemiah 6 and 7, they came together and rebuilt the entire walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. Remarkable work of God. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah's these two books are important to study together. That's why we've done this over the last several months. And in Ezra chapter 1 through 6, if you remember, if you were with us, that that was the whole focus of rebuilding the temple. Then you see in the book of Ezra, in chapter 7 through 10, you see God rebuilding his people. You see the same thing in Nehemiah. In chapters 1 through 6 of Nehemiah, they rebuilt the wall. And then in 7 through 13, we're going to see how God's people were rebuilt. And, 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 and I think it's interesting as you look at chapters, in chapter 8, look at chapter 8 with me in Nehemiah. Um, 
in 1 through 12, you see how they, they respond to the word of God. And they respond in repentance and humility and, and, and they're focused on the Lord. You see this in, in verses 1 through 12. In verses 13 through 18, it's interesting because God's people come together to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Basically, they went to camp. They camped out for, for a period of time uh, just honoring the fact that God delivered them. Now, what I want us to do this morning is Listen to the Lord through this passage. And the first thing that is glaring to us, the first thing that we've got to grab a hold of is this, is point number one, is that coming together is a habit for the people of God. And, I, and I, I, I look at verse one. I want us to see this. Uh, it says in, in chapter eight, verse one, when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded. Now think about this. Let's process this for a minute. That, 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 and, and, and hear this. The call, God's call on your life, when God saves you, he comes to you personally. But the call of a me always ends in a we. Let's think about that. The call of a me always ends in a we. Now, now you see this right here in Nehemiah 8. Um, they, in two months, in 52 days, they, were to, they came together and rebuilt the entire, the walls of, of the entire city of Jerusalem. And it's fascinating. It's a, it's a, it's a massive feat. And, and this group of people followed the Lord, and they accomplished more in these 52 days than many, pe many people of God accomplish in a lifetime. And they did it. How'd they do it? I think, uh, flip over to chapter 3. I want you to notice this. In chapter 3, you see the answer because you see this phrase eight times. I just want you to scan chapter 3. Just kind of scan through those verses. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, you see this phrase, next to him. You see it eight times in chapter 3. Next to him, this is who was there. Next to him. And, and what you see here, the reason God used them so miraculously is God's people came together. This, this next to me thinking shaped their lives, shaped their their, their, their work. And, and, and here's what I want us to see this morning is that, is that you need other people to help you grow in your, in your walk with the Lord. Your, your spiritual growth requires other people. And this, um, and Nehemiah 8 is one of these important biblical reminders that we're part of something way bigger than ourselves. I want you to hear this. Um, one of the in, inaccuracies in the modern church I think one of the misapplications that we often make in 2021 is we put so much emphasis on your personal relationship with God. And though that, that's important, it's important for you to walk with the Lord. We're going to teach you about your walk with the Lord. We're going to invest in your walk with the Lord. Yes. But, but hear me here. Every time someone gets saved... 
Every time Jesus saves somebody, what, he, what does he do? He puts them in a body, in a local body. Jesus didn't just save you personally. He called you to his body. He called you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And one of the things we see here is the importance of the we. Importance of, of it's not just about you. It's not all about you. It's about us. And here's what's interesting as I look at what has happened in our, in our modern church in my lifetime. You know, uh, you know that's beco- it's becoming more and more rare for people to join a church. It's becoming more and more popular. I'll just go to a church. You're part of the big C church. And that is true. That really is true. But, but let's not miss the fact that, that God's called us to one another. God's called us to a body. You see this in 1 Corinthians. You see, you see so much of the we in the scriptures. And this is why uh, you can't, we didn't just get saved and go straight to heaven. Because we got work to do. We got a people to be a part of. And, 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 and the we is significant because um, the depth of our salvation, the depth of your walk with God is learned in community. It's learned together. And it's in the habit of gathering that, that we learn the lesson of, of God's common work among us. God's call to this place, to this city, to these people. It's in the habit of gathering that, that we learn some things. We learn that God cares for each of us equally. Like, it's easy to look at a preacher and go, well, Chris, you're like an important role in the, in the body of Christ because you get up and preach. But, but look, 1 Corinthians says, look, not everybody's a mouthpiece. We're, we're a body, and we need each one of us. And, and, and we see that God cares for all of us equally. It's in the habit of gathering that we learn that we're a part of something bigger than just yourself. This is so very important. You know, it's in, it's in the habit of gathering that we learn God's purposes for our lives, how God's at work. And, and, and this is why I pray we start this next-to-me mindset. Now, I want to ask you, who's next to you? Who is it that's next to you in this journey of life? Who's walking beside you? Because you see this amazing work of God taking place through Nehemiah 8, and it's because there's someone next to them. And God's doing the same thing here. This is why I want to push you to not forsake meeting together, to keep coming. And, 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 and God is intentional about us coming together. And, and in the Old Testament and the New Testament, over and over again, you see God's people gathering in local contexts, in local bodies, and in, in, in doing a work in a local place. And this is so very important to notice. And we see this right here in Nehemiah 8. Look at verse 2. So... Here's what happened. So Ezra, the priest, Ezra comes back into the scene here. Uh, he's the priest. Nehemiah's the, uh, the governor. He's a politician. So Ezra and the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it, face, from, it read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women 
and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, we've seen this before, but I want you to notice what they're doing. They're not just studying the Bible. The book of the law, the law of Moses, right? That's the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They, they were studying those things. And, and, but, but they're not just studying the Bible. Let's, let's look through this. Let's understand this. What are they doing? They're coming to worship the Lord. So point two is so very important for us that, that we need to interact with the Lord at every gathering. What are we doing today? We're not just studying Nehemiah 8. We're interacting with the Lord. God speaks through his word. God guides us. God instructs us. God confronts us. God moves us. And this pattern is significant that we can't miss. Now, how did they connect with the Lord? Well, they connect with God through the teaching of the Bible. This is obvious. Verse, Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above the people as he opened it. And look, notice this, all the people stood. They weren't standing in honor of Ezra. They were standing in honor of God. Because God was there. God was leading them. God was speaking to them. And, 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 and they, were look, they, were, they were connecting with God through the book of the law. And, and we do the same thing. We connect with God through the Bible. Why? Because the Bible, like 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, is given to us by the inspiration of God. This is very important. Uh, according to 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, the, it's the Bible that's the very words of God. And when you understand the, this that we hold in our hands today, which is more than just the Pentateuch, more than just Gen- Genesis through Deuteronomy, now we're at 2021, thousands of years later, and God has preserved his word for us. And we can be confident that, that according to Luke 16, 29, and 31, this is all we need to know God is right here. That's why we turn our face to it. And and according to Proverbs 6, 23, this is the perfect guide for life. This is why I want you to learn, and I pray we learn as followers of Christ to, to, to look through the lens of Scripture. Look through the lens of what God says. According to Proverbs 35 and 6, God's word is flawless. According to Psalm 19.7, it's perfect. According to Psalm 19.10, it's precious. According to Hebrews 4.12, it's powerful. And I'll tell you, we, we, we need to learn here that, that they're not just studying the Bible, though. They're connecting with God through his word. But there's another thing you see as we look through Nehemiah 8. They're, they're learning to listen to the Lord through the leaders that he puts in their lives. Look, God's going to put leaders in your life. He's going to give you pastors. He's going to give you ministers. He's going to give you Sunday school teachers. He's going to give you friends to push you, to confront you, to encourage you, to walk with you. And this is why you've got to be a part of a body. And this is why on, on like Wednesday night, we're having dinner with the pastor. You ought to come to that if you're not, a, if you're not connected to a body. Um, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Look at, look at verse 6 in chapter 8. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And look how all the people answered. And all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. 
And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bonnie, Sherebiah, Jamin, those guys that are listed there. And the Levites, let's just skip all them. I'm sure they're wonderful people. And they helped, look what they did. They helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. You know, I see this all through our church. I see men and women coming together to push each other, to, to know the Lord, to walk with the Lord. I, I am grateful to be a pastor of a church that, that I just can't get up and wing it. If I teach something incorrectly outside of the word of God, I'll tell you. Oh, you will. <laughs> Steve will just tell me right here. <laughs> Think about it. I'm just kidding. I just wanted to say that, Steve. Um, uh, I love that. But, but we study the Bible around here. We listen to one another around here. We push one another around here. I mean, goodness, we're pushing one another to walk with the Lord, and that's good. But let's think about something. As I was praying about this strength of our church, and as I was engaging just like one of my habits, one of my practices is I read through the Bible every year in my daily quiet time. And I do different plans, and I'm in one right now. And this week I was reading and praying through this, or I was just reading, I was just kind of in my devotional life, reading about um, in Luke when, when the Pharisees were busting Jesus' chops about the Sabbath, and they were like, man, you, you don't even follow the law. And Jesus confronted these Pharisees. And you know what I thought about because these Pharisees, man, they knew the law. I felt a warning in my heart. That, that, and and I just, I've got it on the screen here, that we need to be careful not to let Bible study overshadow our love for God. There's a, there's a friend of mine that I met in recently. He's a new friend, and he's a pastor in Texas. And he wrote, a, he wrote a little bit about Nehemiah. I said, Mike, I want to, seems Mike hurt. And I said, Mike, I want to see what you wrote. He sent it to me. And he brought this up. And I thought it was really interesting about um, just this warning. And I thought about what Mike said. And I thought, man, Lord, I see these Pharisees and this, this whole temptation and Mike quoted a guy named Andrew Murray, who's this, he's one of those old Puritan guys. He died a long time ago. But I want you to read, uh, Mike quoted this, quoted Andrew Murray, and I want to read it to you. It says, even the sincere and committed Christian faces a danger. It's the danger of substituting prayer and Bible study for living fellowship with God. Desire to pray earnestly and diligently may so occupy you that the light of his countenance and the joy of his love cannot enter you. Your Bible study may so interest you and intrigue you that, yes, the very word of God may become a substitute for God himself. These pursuits can hinder fellowship because they keep the mind, heart, and soul occupied instead of leading you into the presence of God. 
And I think we need to really catch this. Because in Nehemiah 8, what you're seeing is, is this very intentional journey of studying the Word of God. But they didn't miss the presence of God, their relationship with the Lord. I think that's very important for us. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes I, get a, I gotta watch my pride. Because sometimes I get prideful, like we're in the word here at our church. And I've had people say, man, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're a pastor that preaches the Bible. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's right, I am. But sometimes I fall into that trap of missing the Lord and we shouldn't do that here. We shouldn't come into this and go, look, we're smarter when we leave. We should come and go, Lord, you've shaped me today. You've spoken to me today. Now, I also want you to notice something in Nehemiah 8. And let's look through this. I want you to notice how quickly and physically they respond to the Lord. And let's, let's, let's hear that. You realize that we are to quickly and physically respond to God? Look at verse 8. And they read from the book of the law. Oh, excuse me. They read from the book, from the law of God. But notice this. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Now what's interesting is they had the right kind of response here. They were repentant. And God's word here was moving them to their core, wasn't it? Could you see that? And, and, and we've learned, and we're learning over and over again, that, that let's lean into conviction. Let's lean into repentance. We saw in Nehemiah when he was mad. We tried to feel his anger a couple of weeks ago. He was mad. And we need to lean into conviction and repentance. But... But I think there's something really important here. Ezra says something really important. Not only do we need to lean into conviction and repentance, let me tell you something. We also need to lean into forgiveness. We need to lean into the fact that, that God's given us grace, that God's given us mercy. You know what grace and mercy is? Mercy is, is not giving you what you do deserve. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. And, and, and you know, Jesus wiped our sins away, didn't he? Like Psalm 103.12, you know Psalm 103.12? Fascinating verse. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. Let's, let's, let's categorize that for a minute. If you get in an airplane and you leave Tulsa and you start heading north, 
if you travel far enough, you're going to hit the North Pole. You're going to start heading south. Then you'll hit the South Pole and start heading north. That's a long ways. God could have said, as far as the north is from the south, we'd go, wow, that's a long ways. He didn't say that. As far as the east is from the west. If you get on a globe, you start in Tulsa and you head east. I don't know, one of those directions. East and west, you'll never meet. So, so look what Ezra says. I think there's a lesson here. I think we need to stop beating ourselves up over our mistakes. Often, I'm sitting here about to get up and preach, and I often think, oh, man, I, you know, I'm smart aleck. I, I've, there have been many moments that you would be, if you were a witness to my every detail of my life, you'd go, that's my pastor, that's awesome. Then there'd be many moments you'd be like, Ooh, that's my pastor. And, and so often God reminds me, Chris, I forgave you. And look what he says. He said to them, that they're weeping. He goes, go your way. Look at verse 8 or 10. Go your way, eat the fat. Drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. Stop beating yourself up for your mistakes. God forgave you. God offers forgiveness that's complete. 1 John 1, 9 says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And you also see, look at, look at verse 10. You have a contribution the group needs. Again, you come back to the we. You come back to us together. He says, notice this, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Look, there were people that had nothing ready, and they were like, hey, some of you have things that are ready. Send them. Let, let's, let's do this together. Let's celebrate together because God has worked in us, and God has worked through us. And then I can't get away from the end of verse 10. I cannot get my mind off this. Look at this. He says, and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'll key in on that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That word joy, what is that? It's this confident assurance that in the middle of trouble, in the middle of craziness and chaos and a messed up world, Jesus changed everything. It's going to be okay because of what Christ did. And then, look, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let, let's, let's, let's wrestle with that this week. Let's think about that this week. How, how the, right now, think about how the joy of the Lord has strengthened you. The joy of the Lord has shaped you. The joy of the Lord, I, I can't get my mind away from that. Look at verse 13. It says, 
then, then what do they do? They, they celebrate the Feast of Booths on the second day. The heads of the fathers, houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the Feast of the Seventh Month. So they came together in the rest of the chapter and they went to camp together, kind of. What is, what is the Feast of Booths? It's this faith-building experience. They, they came together to go, let's celebrate how God has moved in our lives. Let's celebrate. And, and you know, we have all kinds of faith-building experiences. You know what I pray we do? I, I think from this point or from all through history, God's people have created faith-building experiences together. And I think we as a body should create some faith-building experiences together. We, we, we actually have. Like I think about False Creek. Like we literally go to camp. And it's this moment that, that God moves, and I can think of you know, through history in our church how God has moved at camp, and people are, are in ministry and serving the Lord in our church that were saved at camp, and that's a faith-building experience. What, what has happened at the mission as we built that years uh, like this started in the heart of our church, that's been a faith-building experience together. And then when I think about God opening the door to Tulsa in our lives, in our church, that I pushed away twice, and, and the Lord was just saying, no, Chris, you got to see this. And now I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's been the most, the coolest faith-building experience for me. You know what next week I get to do? I'm fired up about this. I, I, I'm leaving right after this service. I'm going to leave during the invitation, drive to Tulsa to preach in Spanish. I'm like half fluent. I don't even know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to swing for the fence, baby, next week. And it's like, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm going to just have Pentecost over there, I guess. God's just going to fill my mouth and with Spanish. But, but, but I think about our men's groups and our, these faith-building experiences that we see, soul care ministry that Amber talked about on the video. That's a faith-building experience. There was a lady that came today. She, she's not in, she didn't stay for this service. She came to Bible study today. Her husband just went to be with the Lord. We preach his funeral this week. And she's like, oh, I need the body and, and, and I need this class. And she just looked at a, a, at a list and went to a Sunday school class today. It was the right one. She's like, this, this group of ladies surrounded me today. And oh my goodness, God used this today in my life. I needed this today. That's a faith-building experience. Our, our, our children's ministry, oh my goodness, it's a faith-building experience for our kids. Our student ministry is a faith-building experience for our students. Um, look, God's at work in our neighborhood. That's why we can't look at, at, at Nehemiah and go, that, just, that stuff doesn't happen here. Oh my goodness, that stuff's happening here. God's calling us together. Now, now here's what I want to do today. I, we, the last point is so very, like, up in my grill today. How we need to quickly and physically respond to the Lord. We're going to do that today. And yeah, I may be a little uncomfortable. That's all right. You know, when I, when I look at this passage, 
What is God doing? God is reconstructing not just a city, but a people. And I I guarantee you, many of us in this room, God has reconstructed your life. So so here's how, like Joe just sang this song. We taught you this song. Joe, come on up. And we started the service with this song. And our whole band has to do this one because you can't just do this with just Joe, even though he's pretty good. Here's what I want us to do. We need to respond quickly and physically. So I want you to go to somebody. Joe's going to start playing, okay? And we're going to, in fact, I want, let's practice. Let's stand right now, right where you are. Because we've got to move tonight, today. And this may be like, like you got to go to somebody. And here's what I want you to ask them. Hey, I'm, you may not know them. Introduce yourself. It's okay. Um, I want you to say, what has God reconstructed in your life? And let them tell you, man, this is what God has done in my life. And then if somebody asks you that, you go, well, what about you? What has God reconstructed in your life? Hey, let's, let's do a little better today than just going to the person that you came with. Let's go to somebody that you don't see them eat breakfast every morning. How has God reconstructed your life? Oh my goodness, that's worth celebrating. That's worth going, man, that's awesome. Go ask somebody, like right now. Go, let's go.
That was the loudest invitation I've ever been in in my life. And I love it. Now, let's sing that. Let's sing that loud. You ready? Hey, y'all still talking. I'll let him sing and you can join when you can. Go, Joe, come on. Jesus. Love you guys. You're dismissed. See you next week.